2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father, for which provision had been made in the place of David in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Mount Moriah is the exact same mountain where Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac because he thought that's what the Lord wanted. That was where the Lord tested Abraham. Now, this is the same site where the temple is going to be built. In Jesus' time, it was a different temple. It wasn't Solomon's temple because Solomon's temple got torn down. But Mount Moriah is where the original temple was built. And later, Mount Moriah is the exact same place as Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. So it's the original place of the temple. It's the original place where the Ark of the Covenant was in the temple, in a housed temple. Also, I believe it's the place where Jeremiah hid the Ark under the rock of that mountain when the Babylonians came and raided the temple. It's the same place where Christ was crucified above the rock, called Golgotha, which means skull, because it looks like a skull. We'll talk more about that later in the New Testament, but it shows you that the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies has a lot of history in this area. Now, why did God tell Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac? God never intended for Isaac to die, but it was a test of Abraham's faith, and it was also a foreshadowing of God himself sacrificing his only begotten son in the exact same place in the future. It was a foreshadowing of that. Abraham sacrificed his only son. Ishmael was his firstborn, but that wasn't the son of promise. But when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was the only son he had because Ishmael had already been expelled from Abraham's household, and he was no longer living in Abraham's household. So at the time that Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, Isaac was his only son. The reason Abraham had the faith to do this was because he knew that God could raise Isaac from the dead, and that's what he believed was going to happen. He thought that after he sacrificed Isaac for the Lord, that the Lord would raise him from the dead, because the Lord had promised that from Isaac would come a great nation. So Abraham knew that the Lord always keeps his promise and that therefore he believed that Isaac would come to life. Well, as it happened, God never intended for Isaac to die in the first place, just as God never intended for you and I to die for our own sins. He always intended his own son to die for our sins and pay the price for our sins. And just as Abraham believed that Isaac would be raised from the dead, Jesus, in fact, was raised from the dead, who is the only begotten son of the Father. So it was a really deep foreshadowing of our salvation, and it all happened in the same place. The mercy seat is on the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where the blood of the sacrifice falls for the forgiveness of the Israelites. That's where the priest is supposed to put the sacrificed animal's blood there once a year. When Jesus was crucified, I believe that his blood did go down into the rock crevice and land on that mercy seat where Jeremiah had hid the Ark of the Covenant. 
Now, we'll never see the Ark of the Covenant until Jesus returns and reveals it to the world. That's told to us in the book of Revelation. So there's no point in going to look for it. But I do believe it's in there, hidden within the skull called Golgotha, which is also the mount called Moriah, which is the same place where Abraham tried to sacrifice Isaac, which was a foreshadowing of Jesus dying for our sins in the exact same place, which is also the same place where Solomon originally built his temple. 2. And he began to build in the second day of the second month, in the fourth year of his reign. When Solomon had reigned for four years, that was when the temple began to be built. Obviously, he was making preparations that whole time. His father had already gathered supplies and people, but there may have been other logistics that had to occur in order for the temple to actually start getting built. Perhaps gathering all the supplies in the right locations, getting everybody assigned their job duties and getting hired, all kinds of things may have had to take place, reviewing the blueprints, all that stuff. 3. Now there are the foundations which Solomon laid for the building of the house of God. The length by cubits, after the ancient measure, was threescore cubits, and the breadth twenty cubits. So it was sixty cubits in length, and twenty cubits in width. And a cubit is approximately eighteen inches more or less, so twenty cubits is approximately thirty feet. 4. And the porch that was before the house, the length of it, according to the breadth of the house, was twenty cubits, and the height a hundred and twenty. And he overlaid it within with pure gold. When you stood on the porch of the temple, all you saw was gold. That is so incredible. And this is a foreshadowing of heaven, because God's holy temple that he made is in heaven, and it will be completely gold, it'll be pure gold, and there will be a golden road that leads to it. 5. And the greater house he covered with cypress wood, which he overlaid with fine gold, and wrought thereon palm trees and chains. The largest part of the temple was made with cypress wood, and then he overlaid the cypress wood with pure gold and carved palm trees and chains into the gold to make a design. Just imagine looking at this. It would be like heaven on earth looking at this building. And there's never existed before or since a building that was inlaid and overlaid with pure gold, ever. 6. And he garnished the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold of Parvim. Parvim is a place that was known for gold, and this was probably a gold that's more pure than what you and I are familiar with. 7. He overlaid also the house, the beams, and the thresholds, and the walls thereof, and the doors thereof, with gold, engraved cherubim on the walls. Cherubim are the angels that attend God's throne, and they're also made as decorations in the temple and upon the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubim do have wings, but they're not naked little babies. That's mythology. They look like adult humans, except that they're wearing white robes of righteousness, and they have wings. And now there's other kind of angels that don't have wings, and there's some angels that look like animals in the Bible. God has a wide variety of angels. He doesn't just have one type. And the angels that visit people as messengers are never described as having wings. They usually look like people, except they're very, very bright. 8. And he made the most holy place, the length thereof, 
according to the breadth of the house, was twenty cubits, and the breadth thereof twenty cubits. And he overlaid it with fine gold, amounting to six hundred talents. The most holy place is the room that the Ark of the Covenant is inside, and it's behind the veil which separates the Ark of the Covenant from the furnishings inside the temple, which include the candlestick, the showbread table, and the perfume table. This most holy place is cube-shaped. It was 20 by 20, and that's important because the heaven that's described in the book of Revelation is also cube-shaped. I don't understand that mystery, but that's what God has chosen. This room is inlaid and overlaid with gold. 9. And the weight of the nails was fifty shekels of gold, and he overlaid the upper chambers with gold. Golden nails. This is just unfathomable. Now I thought they were going to use the iron for nails, but I guess I'm wrong. I guess the nails are made of gold, and they were going to use the iron probably to fashion tools to create the temple. 10. And in the most holy place he made two cherubim of image work, and they overlaid them with gold. Which means these are actually like images, so they're kind of like statues of angels with wings. In God's Ten Commandments, he said we're not allowed to make graven images and worship them. However, he actually commanded the Israelites to make graven images to glorify his tabernacle and his temple and his priests' garments. So it isn't just that you can't make graven images. The commandment is that you can't make graven images and worship them or make them for your own ungodly purposes. These are two images of angels. It was not a sin for Solomon to make these. We know that because God entered the temple after it was completed, which means that there was nothing in the temple that was unholy or sinful. 11. And the wings of the cherubim were twenty cubits long. The wing of the one cherubim was five cubits, reaching to the wall of the house, and the other wing was likewise five cubits, reaching to the wing of the other cherub. There's two cherubs standing side by side, but they each have their wings spread completely out. Each wing is five cubits, and since both of them have two wings and their wings are touching right to left, and then on the outside they're touching right to left against the walls, it makes a total distance of 20 cubits, which is the width of the inside of the temple. And the wing of the other cherub was five cubits reaching to the wall of the house, and the other wing was five cubits also joining to the wing of the other cherub. 13. The wings of these cherubim spread themselves forth 20 cubits, and they stood on their feet, and their faces were inward. This means that they were standing up and their faces are toward the center, I believe, or they're facing down. I think it's like their faces are toward the center, which is where the Ark of the Covenant would be sitting. 14. And he made the veil of blue and purple and crimson and fine linen and wrought cherubim thereon. This is exactly how Moses had the veil fashioned when he made the original tabernacle. It had to be made of blue, purple, and crimson and gold design of cherubim on the linen. I would love to see what this looked like, but it must have been incredibly beautiful. So it's white linen with a design of two cherubim on it that are fashioned in blue thread, purple thread, red thread, and gold. Now this verse doesn't mention gold. But Moses' original veil did have gold in it. 
This is the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the perfume table, which is right in front of it, and the other furnishings in the temple. The Holy of Holies is in the back part of the temple, and the high priest can only go there once a year, and no one else can ever enter there at all. Inside the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is. 15. Also he made before the house two pillars of thirty and five cubits high, and the capital that was on top of each of them was five cubits, which means the total length of the pillars was forty cubits, and forty is a biblical number. That's the number of testing and time in the wilderness. And these are the two great pillars that were in front of the temple. One was called Joaquin, and the other one was called Boaz. 16. And he made chains in the sanctuary, and put them on the tops of the pillars, as a decoration. And he made a hundred pomegranates, and put them on the chains. The chains were the lattice work that is used as a background design that God commanded the Israelites to use in the tabernacle, and Solomon is using this same design. The pomegranates can mean a lot of different things. They can symbolize Israel. They can symbolize fertility and prosperity. They can also symbolize the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think of fertility and prosperity, we're thinking in spiritual terms. Not that you'll have physical children, but that you'll have spiritual children who are the people who you lead to Jesus Christ, the people who you share your testimony with the people who you share the gospel with. Those people become your spiritual children, and that's the fertility that you want to have. God isn't going to judge you by how many children you did or didn't have, but he will, in the end, give rewards to those who have many spiritual children who they shared the gospel with. Jesus called the fishermen to be disciples and to go fishing for men, and that means sharing the gospel, bringing people in with a net of the gospel, telling people about Jesus so that they can get saved. So maybe the lattice work represents a fisherman's net. I don't know. Just a guess. 17. And he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and called the name of that on the right hand Joaquin, and the name of that on the left Boaz. The name Boaz means swift. The name Joaquin means fixed or established. And this is talking about the judgments of God. The judgments of God are swift and they are fixed or established. You cannot change God's judgment and his judgment is swift. Jesus is coming very, very soon, sooner than any of us, including me, realize. And when he comes, we're all going to be surprised, including me. I'm going to be surprised too. I'm going to think, wow, I thought we had a little more time. But no, his judgments are swift. We need to get ready now for the Lord because his judgments are swift and they're established. They won't be changed. He said that in order to be saved, we must repent of our sins and put our full trust in him and offer our bodies as a willing sacrifice to him. That means give him our lives. That doesn't mean to die. It means to die to our selfish desires in a spiritual sense and live for him because he is coming soon and his judgment is fixed and established. If we're not covered by his blood, he who died for our sins, then we won't stand at Judgment Day. And that concludes Second Chronicles chapter 3.